What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. This is serious business here, man. We've got a mission. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. And tonight we're going to be rocking and rolling through the top records of 2005, one of my favorite shows of the entire year. Absolutely. It's only our second show on Chicago Public Radio, and we are already blowing up our own format. It's unusual. It's not like the regular show where we have news and we have a feature and we have some reviews at the end. This is a completely self-indulgent show where Greg and I get to go through our top 10 records of the year. Greg, why the heck do rock critics love these year-end lists so much? We have to catalog things. Boys have to catalog things. I don't know if the girls like to catalog things. Well, there as is much an element the of that, do. you know, as Nick Hornby uh, charted in High Fidelity. I mean, there is an element <laughs> of ultimate geekdom. You know, just the there keeping is. of the list as a sacred thing in pop music fandom. You know, baseball cards, cars, you know, dinosaurs. Now it's list, the best records yeah. of the year. Allow me to make a slightly more academic and intellectual yeah. justification, being that we are now on public radio, and it's not just geekdom. Uh, and we're not just collecting baseball cards. Here you have to laser-like focus on the things you valued most about this art right. form throughout the year. You're the numbers guy. What is the number of records that are related? It's something like 10 times more than the number of movies. Conservatively speaking, 35,000 records a year. <laughs> 35,000. You could yeah. spend the entire year listening to nothing but music and still not listen to all the records to every, that It would be physically impossible. However, you and I both get hundreds of records a week to review. We listen probably to more music than is healthy. Hundreds and hundreds. There's no doubt. We have stacks and stacks of uh, boxes at our homes listening to records. Yes. And our significant others are rather sick of our, <laughs> of our detritus. And throughout the year, we're figuring out what, you know, what stuff really means the most to us. And I think, Jim, speaking for myself, but I think as well as for you here, these aren't the records that we say, okay, these are the only records this year you have to listen to. These are the records that we are most passionate about. Yes. These are the records that I found myself returning to over and over again and will listen to again and again in future years because I got the most pleasure out of it. For pleasure. These are the records I want to listen. I want to hear every single one of these records I'm going to talk about tonight, right now, again, even though I've listened to all this music. I think the key for me, Jim, is when I return to a record, I want to get more out of it. I want it to surprise me every time I listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way about all the records I'm going to be playing tonight and talking about. These are records that when I constantly went back to them, they, they consistently rewarded me with new pleasures, new surprises. All right. Well, without further ado, then, what we do to start these kind of shows, and the entire show is going to be dedicated to our top tens of the year, we flip the ceremonial Sound Opinions coin, <laughs> which on one side has the great rock biographer Peter Goralnik. Uh, one of your heroes, and on the other has the great gonzo rock critic Lester Bangs, one of mine. Matt Spiegel, our longtime producer, has flipped the coin. Mr. Cott, you have won. This is rigged. You got the first Desert Island jukebox. You got the coin toss. What can I tell you? Spiegel uh, is going to get a bigger Christmas present than he bargained <laughs> for <laughs> well, as a result. As long as it's costing you.
running down some of our top ten records of the year on Sound Opinions. Greg Cott, Jim DeRogatis. I'm Greg. I'm going to start. And I'm going to go completely to West Africa. Uh, I'm not even going to worry about the continental U.S. I'm not going to worry about the U.K. Amadou and Miriam are a duo, a folk pop duo out of Mali, a country in West Africa. And the history of West African music of the last 30 years has been one of importing different sounds. These are coastal countries, coastal cities, much like Liverpool in the early 60s where the young Beatles were growing up and the sailors and the merchants were bringing in R&B records and soul records from the United States and those influences were seeping into the Beatles' music. The music of West Africa has been heavily influenced by the music of the West. At the same time, they're incorporating their ethnic music, their folk music of their own countries into this and making these exciting new blends. Now, Amadou and Miriam, this blind married couple for the last 30 years, have been making wonderful records. They're both blind? They're both blind. They're married. And they've been making these beautiful folk records for about the last 30 years. What they've done with this new record is an amazing thing. They've hooked up with this uh, man named Manu Chow, a French-Spanish singer-songwriter who um, formed an amazing rock and espanol band in the 80s called Mano Negra. Now, rock and espanol, for listeners who are not familiar, is the South American take on modern uh, rock and roll and, and hip-hop. It's, it's, there's this very powerful uh, cultural incubator exploding in South America. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now you have the rock and espanol, the South American scene, linking up with the African scene? Yeah, you've got this guy who's a, a, a real uh, metropolitan kind of dude. I mean, he is bringing in... <laughs> The kitchen sink into his music. He's, yeah. he's bringing in influences from all over the world. Mano Negro was a great example, of a forerunner of this style. And he's hooked up with this very traditional vocal duo, Amadou and Miriam, this couple, and really given their uh, record a shot of cosmopolitan juice, kind of mm. a, a sense of, of worldliness that their previous records really lacked. So in other words, if you're a fan of Western rock music, for example, if you listen to this record, you would say, huh, I can relate to what's going on here. Yeah. And, and at the same time, be introduced to some new sounds from All West right, Well, Africa. I'm not ashamed to say with 35,000 records out this year, I completely missed this one. I'm curious <laughs> now to hear it. That was your number six pick of the year, Amadou and Miriam uh, Diamanche Amabaco. Yeah, that right? that's a, as good an attempt as I could possibly make uh, to pronounce that. <laughs> We're going to play a track from this wonderful record, a track co-written by Manu Chow. It's called Senegal Fast Food on Sound Opinions. Amadou and Miriam with Senegal Fast Food for my number six album of 2005, and now Jim DeRogatis. Well, this is my number six as well, Mr. Cott. 
It's a band from Liverpool. You just invoke them, uh, comparing them to Molly. Liverpool is still producing interesting pop music, and this band is one of the best of recent years that I, I've just fallen in love with. The group is named Ladytron. Witching Hour is record number three. This is the one where they really came into their own. The other two have been great. It's been an interesting combination of Kraftwerk style 70s German synthesizer music or Gary Newman from later in the New Wave movement with a little bit of uh, disco kind of celebratory ABBA thing happening yeah. or, or Donna Summer, you know, those wonderful electronic productions. On this album, they turn dark, as the name might indicate, Witching Hour. It's two guys, two girls. It's a very cute quartet, love to dress like they've just stepped out of the science fiction film Logan's Run. Before, there's been a little bit of an element of kitsch, but here, they are obsessed with death. The entire album is kind of amusing on darkness and fire and brimstone and, and doom and destruction, except <laughs> it's delivered with this wonderful, just motivating uh, sense of melody and rhythm. A lot of electronic instruments, but then also a lot of kind of an indie rock sensibility. It's all kind of done in the basement. It's not uh, very glossy, and I, I hope it's not politically incorrect to say, but the two women who do many of the vocals are sexy as hell. Um, <laughs> that doesn't hurt. No. Helen Marney uh, kind of steps out from behind the keyboard and becomes the real force here as the primary singer, while her partner, uh, Mira Arroyo, kind of takes the back seat, but I think the band actually benefits from it. The best song of their career is the one I'm going to play here. It's called International Dateline. If you don't fall instantly in love with this song, well, then you're just not breathing right now. But the whole album is really great, and it takes you on this journey. Again, it's kind of dark, wonderful, mystical, sexual synthesizer pop from Liverpool. The band's name is Ladytron. The album is called Witching Hour. It's my number six pick of the year, and uh, the song's called International Dateline. International Dateline by the Liverpool pop band Ladytron from the album Witching Hour, my number six pick of the best of the year. All right, Jim, what I'm hearing is a band that's uh, justifying that that electropop that was so uh, denigrated in the early 80s, you know, yes. Culture Club, Human League. Uh, Human League, how could I have forgotten A flock Human of League, seagulls, yeah. all that stuff that all the critics have been poo-pooing for 20 years, saying it was kind of twee and kind of ineffectual, early Depeche Mode. Mm -hmm. That seems to have had a shelf life a lot longer than a 
lot of other records that were made in the 80s, and you can hear it in Lady Tron's music. What are they bringing to the party you think that uh, wasn't there in the first place? Well, Greg, ultimately it comes down to whether you've got a great song underneath the synthesizer or not. You can be playing West African instrument, as your first choice did. You can be playing guitars. You can be playing uh, old 80s analog synthesizers or the new high-tech digital ones. Right. At the end of the day, if you don't have a great song, you don't have a great song. Human League, I think, endures because they had great songs. Flock of Seagulls, I would differ not so much. They don't. Well, they had one great song. I read. <laughs> yeah, they had that one great, great song. song. All right. I think this uh, Witching Hour is a collection of killer tunes. One other comparison I didn't make. It may not mean a lot to a lot of people, but in the indie rock world, Stereo Lab has been a leading light in this sound for a decade and a half. They were unfortunately corrupted by the Chicago band Tortoise, and now they've become kind of <laughs> pretentious post-rock jazz. I know you would differ with me on that point. That's true. Um, but since Stereolab is no longer forwarding that kind of sound, I think Ladiotron is doing it and writing the kind of great pop songs that Stereolab used to. Okay. You're listening to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRigatis. We're running down our top ten records of 2005, one of our very favorite shows of the year. It's my turn, and I'm going to go with my number five record of the year by a group called the New Pornographers out of Vancouver, Canada, called Twin Cinema. New Pornographers. Now, right away, you're thinking, what is this, some uh, porn movie soundtrack? In fact, it's a tongue-in-cheek reference to an assertion made by the televangelist Jimmy Swaggart. He once referred to uh, pop music as the new pornography. So uh, A.C. Newman, this very literate, very uh, sarcastic singer-songwriter from Vancouver, decided to name his band New Pornographers. He recruited an all-star band, some of the best musicians that he knew in the Vancouver area. And you would think, Vancouver, a hotbed of rock and roll? Who knew? When, in fact, uh, one Nico Case, who I think is one of the very best singers of the last decade, was one of the early members of this band and still tours with uh, New Pornographers and does backing vocals and the occasional lead vocal on their records. They put out three records now, and I think Twin Cinema is the best. The first two were very straight-ahead pop records, really tuneful, really melodic, and at the same time, I didn't think sustained repeat listens. The new record, however, more complex, more dark. You've used that word before with yeah. the, in, in regards to Ladytron. I think there's a lot more depth to the new pornographer's record because of that. More twists and turns in the music. Newman has taken to referencing Burt Bacharach, but in a cool way, saying, <laughs> hey, Bacharach wrote progressive rock. It's just that it was in this kind of cheesy supper club format. We've had this disagreement before. There was nothing cool about Burt Bacharach. However, I'm going to jump in here because uh, the new pornographer's Twin Cinema is number 10 on my list. Mm -hmm. And you know... So you love the record, too. I love this record as well. For the record, our lists were kept individually under lock and key security and just delivered moments ago by the accounting firm of Deloitte & Touche, (laughs) uh, borrowed from the Grammy Awards. So we don't compare notes. And in fact, it burns our butts when one of us have something in common, which is going to happen perhaps a few times tonight. But I'm with you on this record. Before, Greg, it was hit and miss. Yeah. You know, there were some good moments, and everybody's swapping instruments, and they're all having a big party, getting drunk on stage. Yeah. They focused on the songs on this album, and, and the songs are just extraordinary. Yeah, the songs are great. It doesn't hurt that there's two pretty major songwriters in this band. Besides Carl Newman, or A.C. Newman, as he's known, there's another guy named Dan Bihar who uh, leads a band called Destroyer. 
and these guys are, are basically playing, you know, tag. I can write a better song than you can. It's sort of like an indie rock version of, you know, Lennon McCartney or yeah. Grant Hart and Bob Mould and Husker Du, that well, kind of thing. Before I got the sense that the New Pornographers was kind of the catch basin for all the stuff that didn't fit in these people's other musical projects, whereas this time they did get into this competitiveness. Everybody's trying to outdo each other. You have a couple of songs where five or six vocalists, they each take a verse and join in together on the choruses. There's a real kind of celebratory group. Uh, thing happening here. It's oh, just, it's just amazing. You know, when you got Nico Case as like the second or third singer in your band, you know you're <laughs> loaded. <laughs> you are just loaded. And there's a beautiful song called Spanish Techno right in the middle of this record. Sing me I'm Spanish Techno. Not only an amazing verse, a better chorus, but then one of the most beautiful bridges. And what a bridge is is essentially like a little middle eight, a little passage in the middle of a song that you never hear again that sort of unites the beginning of the song with the end of the song, the bridge, in other words. And that can make the whole thing worthwhile. We should note, though, that the lyrics are absolutely, utterly meaningless. They're meaningless, but the song is so beautiful. (laughs) The melody is so beautiful, and there's so many events happening. The sense of surprise that I was talking about earlier at the top of the show, and you want to go back and listen to it again. Again. And that's what makes it one of the best pop albums of the last year. It's Twin Cinema by New Pornographers, and here's Sing Me Spanish Techno on Sound Opinions. Pornographers with a cut from Twin Cinema called Sing Me Spanish Techno, number five on my top ten list of 2005. Later on in the show, we're going to give you some uh, helpful hints on how you can get involved in putting out your top ten records and getting them on the show as well. The premise of this show is, Greg, that you and I are not just the sages on the mountaintop telling everybody what to think. Everybody's a critic. We welcome that involvement. And top ten lists are joy that should not be <laughs> hoarded only by us. However, this is our show tonight, and we're having a good time. That was my number ten pick. Uh, bubbling under us here is a little bit of a sample from my number five pick, which we're going to get to as soon as we return on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. He's Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. We're running down our top ten records of 2005. It's our ball game tonight, Jim. It is uh, our show tonight. It's an indulgent are, show. We like to share the ball. We're team players here. We're John Stockton. The listeners out there are Carl Malone. That's a basketball reference, Jim. I, that's I a, that's I a game that they I, play at a I hard don't court. follow football. Yeah. <laughs> but we do want your sound opinions. So tell us about the music that you loved in 2005 and what we got wrong. We're secure in, in, our, <laughs> yeah. in our, our critical aesthetic, and uh, you can, you're free to tell us we're just cracked in the head. 888-859-1800. 888-859-1800. There has been a long and very in-depth uh, discussion of the albums of the year on soundopinions.com, which is our website. There's a thriving message board. We're going to read their results uh, later in the year. We'll talk about the uh, the annual Village Voice poll of 500 rock critics across the country. But today's it's the Cot and Dear Goddess poll. The so, only uh, poll. The, as yeah. the world's only rock and roll talk show, this is the only two top ten lists <laughs> that, that matter. And I would say, really, you can discard, anyway. uh, discard Cots and just pay attention to mine, but... Uh, All right, well, Dear Goddess is up to number five, so lay it on us. You know, I am offended by the fact that uh, for a number of reasons that make no sense whatsoever to me, Moby, who we heard uh, playing a little of the ambient music that comprises the second disc of his uh, recent album, Hotel, uh, Moby has been dubbed passé. Moby's over the hill. Hmm. He's 40 years old, you know, a, a million years old in rave time. And, uh, you know, Moby went wrong when he sold every track on his 1999 album Play to a bunch of different advertisers. Moby's sold out. Moby's not techno anymore. Moby's, you know, Moby's got all these problems, people think. And it's become very uncool to like Moby. And I think this album was overlooked by many critics. Hotel is just packed with beautiful, gorgeous songs that find Moby going back to the music that inspired him as a kid. Stuff like The Cure and Depeche Mode and New Order. He's adding a little bit of a modern thing, though, of course, because in Brooklyn, in the New York scene right now, there is this huge explosion of bands that are worshipping those groups, adding a little bit of post-alternative kind of uh, underground edge. Bands like The Rapture and Interpol. Moby's saying, I got there first, I can do it better. And he does. I think that if the name Moby wasn't on it, and people just heard this record divorced from all of the baggage, they would fall in love with it, because songs like Raining Again and Beautiful and Lift Me Up and Spiders, which I'm going to play, a very conscious homage to David Bowie, are just absolutely unforgettable. It's actually a double album, so you get a lot of bang for your buck. You get one whole disc full of killer pop songs. You get one disc full of great ambient music. You can put it on the back when you're doing the dishes, when you try to go to sleep, when you're reading uh, either of our columns in the newspaper. <laughs> uh, I, I love this record. It's, it's my number five pick of the year, Moby's Hotel. We're going to listen to the song Spiders on uh, Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio.
Ah, oh, man, can't you just see the arena full of people waving their arms in the air? My number five pick of the year, Moby's Hotel. We are doing our top tens running down the list. Mr. Cott, it is your turn. Well, Moby's running into the same issues that are trailing this next band that I'm going to talk about, uh, Sleater Kinney, an indie rock trio from Portland. And, you know, it's one of those cases where they've been around 10 years, they're on their seventh album, the issues trailing them are like, what have you got to say? Did you run out of stuff to say? Haven't you already done your best moves already? Now you're just pressing repeat and repeating all your best moves. And let's let's face it, it's a tough trick to pull off. It's tough to be able to sustain a career beyond those first couple of brilliant records. And that's what surprised me about The Woods, the seventh record by Sleater Kinney, and I think their best album. Some people are going to be shocked by that statement because they love the early stuff. Uh, Dig Me Out was a terrific record in 1997, but I actually think The Woods exceeds it. And the reason I think that is I, I think there was a lot at, at stake here, and I think they realized it. I think they realized that they had to get out of their comfort zone and make a record that really challenged them. So they went to upstate New York with Dave Fridman, who uh, is perhaps best known as the producer of a lot of great Flaming Lips records, or, uh, a band that I know you, Mr. Dirigatis, appreciate mightily, as do I. I do. So here's this, this little indie rock band from Portland, which is not so little anymore. I mean, they're selling out shows around the country with regularity. Well, they started the year opening for, speaking of the Flaming Lips, opening mm-hmm. for the Flaming Lips and Wilco on New Year's Eve uh, yeah, of 2004, 2005 at Madison Square Garden. Right. Uh, they were kind of rocked by the election results. They sort of put their neck out on the line and really campaigned heavily for Kerry in the presidential election of 2004. They were somewhat taken aback by the results of that election. That had to be worth at least, what, 20, 30 votes. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> backdrop, the backdrop of this record is that disappointment and the tension within the band about, have we got anything left to say? Is this worth being a band anymore? And then, thirdly, taking themselves out of their comfort zone, working with a new producer, going to a, a studio in basically a foreign land. Upstate New York is quite a bit different than uh, Portland, Oregon. And really challenging themselves to come up with the goods. And I think they have a terrific record, really emphasizing the fact that this trio has grown as musicians and singers. Janet Weiss, I think, is one of the very best drummers in rock. There's a lot more space in the music for her to shine on this record. I think uh, comparisons to uh, Keith Moon in The Who, in the way he was able to sort of become a lead instrument on a lot of songs, are very apt on this record. Corin Tucker, an amazing singer, and she's channeling not just the Riot Girls that she grew up with. In other words, that female-centric punk rock movement of the late 80s and early 90s from U- the Pacific Uber feminist, Northwest. Uber-feminist, uh, activist, uh, right. very political. Yeah, but now she, I think they become students of rock history as well. They know their own history very well, obviously, but now they're, they're, they're channeling people like Etta James, Martha Reeves. There's a lot of soul creeping into Corn Tucker's vocals, and Carrie Brownstein has become a terrific guitar player. I think you can hear it on the song that I'm going to play. It's a song called Jumpers, and again, they're, they're taking themselves out of the comfort zone, not writing these verse-chorus pop songs, but there's hooks in them. There's still memorable moments on these songs, and there's a moment in this song where Brownstein's playing that guitar, and I feel like there's this 20-foot tsunami coming at me, these surging waves. It's a great, exciting moment, one of the most exciting moments on a rock record in 2005. This is a powerful, loud, large rock record. And I think the angriest and loudest rock record they've made. It doesn't sound like a twee little indie rock band anymore. It's The Woods, it's Sleater Kinney, and here's Jumpers on Sound Opinions. I spend the afternoon in cars. I sit in traffic jams for hours. Don't push me, I am not okay. The sky is blue most every
That's Jumpers from Sleater Kinney's The Woods. Number three album, my top ten list of 2005. And Jim has just been sitting here biting his tongue the whole time. We're on public radio right. now. I'm trying to be more polite. I'm trying not to talk all over you. If that record was one one-hundredth as good and as powerful as you just described it, I would applaud it. Instead, it is so anemic and contrived, Mr. Cot, if you had seen them on uh, New Year's Eve last year at Madison Square Garden, I mean, you know, if they were nearly as good as you were talking about, they would have been able to carry it off. Instead, they died. They sank like a lead balloon, which is not a bad phrase because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to inject a little bit of Hendrix or Led Zeppelin or Creedence Clearwater Revival. They have always been this kind of fractured twisted art rock, underground construction. I, I, the songs always threatened to teeter over on themselves because they were so uh, slight. And now they're trying to beef it up by the addition of cowbell, harmonica, and fuzz guitar. And it's like, man, that doesn't that doesn't fix anything. I mean, you know, her, I don't know, man. vocals drive me crazy. You and I have just that, been butting heads on this band forever. Yeah, and, and you, uh, you like them I just think it, they're one of the very best things in rock for the last 10 years, and you think they're one of the very worst. How, I think, how is one it possible of that two people could hear the same thing and be so completely Because divergent? I have never been wowed by their by their physical appearance. You like the fact that they dress <laughs> like Catholic schoolgirls, and that is the truth. You won't admit it, and yet I know it to be true. I mean, at least I had my bias up front. The Lady Tron girls are sexy. Like, I like as them. As you That's said about Lady the they're cute. You know what? Uh, whether they look good or not, the music makes the hair on my neck stand <laughs> yeah. up. Jana Weiss is just, I, I think she's as good a drummer, and you as a drummer should be able to appreciate Jana Weiss, but you hated Keith Moon, too. Well, we, we dislike the aesthetic. <laughs> I mean, I think the drums are not a solo instrument. I mean, Moon at least could play. He could justify being... <laughs> You're saying Jana Weiss can't play? I don't, I don't believe that for the amount of uh, busyness she injects into this music, it's, it's, she doesn't have the chops to pull it oh, off. Oh, I think she's amazing. They're not even in my top uh, 400. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Just stunning lack of taste on your Jessica part. Jessica Simpson did a cover of Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking. It's not that bad. Thanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm going to get back at you because you're going to make the case for uh, I am. this next record. And I am not sold on this band either. Well, I'm going to sell you right now. Okay. Number, number sell four me. on my top ten list of the year is a band from England called The Go Team. Go Exclamation point. Thunder, <laughs> lightning, strike. This is essentially the brainchild of one very talented English bedroom musician named Ian Parton, who I interviewed earlier in the year. He told me he was always into avant-garde noise rock, like Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine, but he could never get past his upbringing as a kid loving the Jackson 5 and the Charlie Brown cartoons, Vince Guaraldi's uh, oh, soundtrack music. That's great stuff. And also uh, other soundtrack music later, like the music that Carl Stalling crafted for the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons, or the music coming out of the Indian film world, the Bollywood. And he had an idea to put all this stuff together. The funky Motown R&B horns, the kind of hip-hop or old-school R&B rhythms, kind of reinvented as hip-hop, plus the Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine shredding noise guitar, and he did it. Damned if he didn't pull it off. It started as a basement recording, and he uh, eventually expanded the band to play live. Ian Parton recruited a uh, black singer who was just this high-energy explosion named Ninja. And she's doing this kind of rapping while some of the other band members are doing the vocal singing and there's electronics, but then there's also live instruments. And they did an incredible show this summer at the independent rock festival known as the Intonation Music Festival here in Chicago uh, in one of the city parks. It was a great moment, Mr. Cott. And I think it, it underscores the appeal of this band. The pool that was next door had just let out and a group of a dozen young girls uh, got out of the pool and they were running across the park. They saw this band on stage 
playing to all these indie rock hipsters. They saw this front woman ninja up there doing these double Dutch rhymes, and they saw themselves reflected. And she called them on stage, and suddenly she's surrounded by this group of young girls jumping up and down, screaming with joy, dancing on stage. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. It just really showed this band bringing these things together. I mean, you make it sound great, but uh, it's, it's cheesy-sounding <laughs> music to me. One man's cheese is another man's gold, Mr. Yeah. Cott. Here we go. Bottle Rocket by The Go Team from the Thunder Lightning Strike album, my number four album of the year, on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. There you go. That's Bottle Rocket by the Go Team. Thunder Lightning Strike is the name of the record. It was my number four on uh, the Sound Opinions Top Ten of 2005. Later on in the show, we'll tell you once again how you can hop in next week and give us your favorite albums of the year or react to ours. But right now we're building towards the climax of the show. After some uh, disagreement, some vehement disagreement on those last two records, we have total agreement on this next record which both made number two on my list and i gotta tell yeah. you jim number two on mine number two on yours this was a front runner for the number one record for a long time this year this is mm. one of my very very favorite records of the year a record i could not get enough of i think in terms of just total number of plays i probably played this record more than any other this year simply because it came out so early in the year and it's just been a soundtrack on every road trip i've taken this it year. is an irresistible album i feel the same way the group is called lcd sound system self-titled collection. I mentioned the Brooklyn scene earlier, that underground New York scene uh, kind of taking its cue from the early 80s post-punk, mm-hmm. early new wave period. This is a cornerstone band, literally for a lot of reasons, because it's the best that that scene's produced, but also the leader of the group, James Murphy, has been a key producer in that world, has produced a lot of these other groups. Yeah, he's been with this label called DFA, which has become the cachet but, in New York. They had people like Janet Jackson and Britney Spears trying to hire uh, the DFA production team. One of the reasons it could be argued, Mr. Cott, I'll play devil's advocate, that we like this group is that James Murphy looks like us. You know, <laughs> a schlub. He's, he's a 40-something, a geeky schlub. schlubby, overweight, kind of beer belly guy. Uh, but then he gets on stage and, and fronts this band, which is partly electronic underground music, you, you know, samples and synthesizers and loops, and partly old school punk or post-punk hard-edge hitting music. You know, the drummer is one of the best I've seen in, in just years, just in terms of delivering that hard-edge groove and they've got the live guitar and the live synthesizer and Murphy who looks like he should be uh, delivering your FedEx package instead is hurling himself about the stage like Iggy Pop. Yeah, it's that sweet spot between punk and disco. And I love that period in the in the late 70s early 80s, the Contortions and Liquid Liquid and the Bush Tetras, those kind of bands. Yeah. I thought really had something where they put the fun back in rock music. If you remember in the 70s 
progressive rock. I mean, that was great stuff, but yeah. you really couldn't dance to it. Well, we're talking These about guys got when people back on the dance people floor. People went out to dance to rock and roll. Exactly. And, that, and it hasn't happened since. And he's brought it back with, with a self-deprecating tongue-in-cheek. He kind of, you know, plays off on the fact, hey, I am, I am kind of a schlub. You know, hey, you know, Daft Punk's playing in my house. You know, wink, wink, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, I'm not cool enough to be there. Is a song you, you might know? have heard it on the OC or yeah. any number of other hipster outlets where he's talking about this this cool French underground electro band that he's invited over to play in his house. The uh, eggheading New York critic types of the Village Voice and such have called this movement intelligent dance music. I think that's actually an insult. It is. Because I don't think any intelligence is required. It's just good time it's, dance It's music. a good time. You know what? The guy has single-handedly brought the cowbell back, and there's there woodblocks, and there's tambourines, and there's there shakers are. on this record. This guy knows galore. his percussion. I'm not going to make a case for it as an end-to-end concept record, even though critics are supposed to love that kind of thing and rank those records most highly on their list. This is just one great track after another. Let's hear a little of it. It's one of those records that's so good, we had a five-minute argument uh, finally settled by our associate producer, Robin Lynn, about which song to actually play. <laughs> There's like six of them we want to play. We're going to play Tribulations from LCD Sound System's self-titled Capitol Records debut on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. LCD Sound System with Tribulations from their self-titled record, both number twos for Jim DeRigatis and myself, Greg Cott. I saw you bouncing around these Chicago Public Radio station studios as uh, as we were playing that track. You know, we need some video in here. You were ready to groove. We need some, need to put some of that up on the website. So no, Lord, we don't. Even more fun of us. When we come back on Sound Opinions, we are going to give our number one records of the year. Mr. Cott's mine. I'm Jim DeRigatis from the Sun-Times. He is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. You're listening to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. For a white girl, get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head, get down. Get down, girl, gon' head. Let me hear that back. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the Sun Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. That, of course, is Kanye West, Gold Digger. 
Single of the year, Greg? I mean, more than 20 weeks up in the top five? Huge, huge. Jim, you haven't lived until you've been in a car. You know, I help coach an eighth-grade girls basketball team. And a saint among men you are. Yes, yes, I am. And eight eighth-grade girls are in your car <laughs> screaming this song at the top of their lungs. I mean, this has taken over America. This yeah, is one of the biggest singles of the last decade. Well, let's set this up. This is your number one record of the year. I gotta say it was in serious contention uh, for me uh, for a top slot. I, it wound up at number three. I'm a little surprised to see you put it at number one, Greg, because for much of the year, you and I were fighting about it, and you were saying it's just not as good as his debut, The College Dropout. Came out of the box in 2004 with the college dropout early in the year. It's an incredible record. It's a guy who is best known as producing other artists. I, I remember running into him at the House of Blues here at Common's show. We're going to talk about the rapper Common shortly. And, and this guy coming up to me saying, hey, I'm producing some tracks. You're going to hear about me. <laughs> as if he was just doing it in the basement. He was working with people like Janet Jackson. He was working with Jay-Z. Alicia Keys. Really put him on the map. It just exploded. He's kind of a buppy. He's a, he's a well-educated, middle-class uh, Southside kid. Middle-class Southside kid. His mother's a college teacher. His father's a Black Panther. <laughs> was a Black Panther, now a Christian minister. Mar- marriage counselor, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's a, a smart guy. Time Magazine cover boy a few months ago, calling him the, the smartest man in, in pop music. Making the cover of Time for a Musician, usually reserved for the Springsteens, the Bonos of the world. Exactly. So you've got a guy who's getting this kind of massive crossover appeal and yet still making it artfully incorporating string arrangements that I don't think have ever been heard on a hip-hop record. The kind of arrangements that I could imagine George Martin working with the Beatles on in the 60s. Avant-garde string arrangements on pop singles. And I mean, not, when was the last time you heard that? Not hyperbole on your part. You know, he, he went out and recruited this guy, John Bryan, who is best known for uh, scoring Hollywood film soundtracks, working with people like Fiona Apple or Amy Mann, right. uh, these elaborate orchestrations. So part of the innovation and the brilliance of this album is musical. Uh, That's the thing. I I think he's offering a portrait of complexity that, at the end of it, even takes it further than the uh, debut record does. Uh, In other words, he's talking about stuff like in the song Diamonds from Sierra Leone. He's questioning, I'm wearing these diamond studs in my ears, Mm -hmm. and what was the price for these diamond studs? In other words, what kind of slave labor was going on in these South African mines to produce these diamonds? When he's talking about a song like Hey Mama, he's, he's basically saying, not only do I love my mom, but is that cool enough to be saying on a pop record? Mm-hmm. W- when he's talking about roses, he's at the bedside of his grandma, who's working for a low minimum wage kind of job. Uh, she was a church secretary, I think. He, and he's upset because the nurse is coming up to him and asking him to autograph a T-shirt. And right. here he is wanting to get the best care possible for his grandmother. And she can't because she's not at the top of the pecking order right. in terms of uh, wages. She's, I think the line is if she was in the NBA, she would be taken care exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. I think the chances he took really won me over. I think it aimed high higher than the debut record. The debut record is a little tighter, a little more focused. There's more humor on it. I really enjoyed that. But I think late registration ultimately takes more chances. And I think a great example of that is this song, Gone, where he, d- he works this great Otis Redding sample, the soulful, gritty sample, and it starts out as a traditional hip-hop track, and then those strings start swelling up underneath it. Then you've got this whole uh, middle passage where the strings sort of take over, and this amazing avant-garde string arrangement sort of fills up the speakers, and you're going... Where am I now? It's like I've, I've landed on another planet, yet you've still got this Otis Redding thing going underneath. Kanye comes back into the song, comes up with an amazing, I think the single best 
rap vocal of his career on this mm. particular song. He's never been celebrated as a great rapper. People say but the I knock think he's on getting, him is he's a good producer and can't rap. But he's gotten a lot better. And I think this song wins me over. And, you know, Kanye, when he's passionate about something, that passion takes over. And he really won me over with this song saying, this guy can not only spit some rhymes, but there's some real passion and some real sincerity there that I was relating to. So I think he took more chances. It would have been very easy for Kanye to make another record just like the first one. I think he took it a step up with this one. And that's why it's my number one record of the year. We spy and told what huh? only one. Uh oh. But it's too late. It's too late. Keep you sweat up, and I ain't talking about a cool J. You a big L, and I ain't talking about cool J. See me at the airport, at least 20 Louis. Treat me like the prince, and it's my sweet brother, no Group is say I'm too choosy. Take him to the show and talk all through the movies. Says she want diamonds, I took her to Ruby Tuesdays. If we up at Fridays, I still have it my way. Gone. We strive at home. Gone. I ride on drones. Y'all don't want no pride from me. What you rappers could get is a job for me. Maybe you could be my intern. An intern, I'll show you how I cook up summer in the winter. Aaron love the raw dog, when will he learn? Caught something on the usher till he had to let it burn. Plus he already got the return. Arguing over babysitters like, bitch, it's your turn. Damn, yay, it be stupid to ditch you. Even your superficial raps is super official. Rock pastel with Gucci on. With TVs in the ride, throw a movie. On. Said he couldn't rap, now he at the top with Doobie Long Cause I dookie's on any song that they do me on, gone We strive at home, I ride on So liquor for the fact that my pal gone uh, And trying to help his mama with the fact that a child gone And since we used to bubble like a tub full of cow gone Guess it's only right that I should help her from now on But since they got a foul on, what could have gone wrong? Now they ask the cons, how long has this gone on? And maybe all this money might have gone to my head Cause it got me thinking money might have gone to the bed So I ain't going to the dread, but he had gone up the bed And when I came the next morning, he was gone my bread And with that being said, I had gone my instincts And going to the spots where they go to get me Strange, but looking back now, I should have gone to the crib and ran and gone with the wind. Cause I'd have gone in my tent, but I ain't gone, my friend. And we had gone to the bar and heard a nigga talking shit, so I ain't gone to the car. And now the judge is telling me that I ain't gone too far. And I'll be gone for 20 years doing time behind bars. And since I've gone to a cell for some petty crimes, I guess I've gone to the well one too many times. Cause I'm gone. Sometimes years out, so the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out, and that make me wanna get my 
advance out and move to Oklahoma and just live in my aunt's house. Yeah, I romance the thought of leaving it all behind. Kanye step away from the lime, light like when I was on the grind in the one nine 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 before model chicks was bending over. Or dealerships as we been a rover, man. If I could just get one beat on hover, we could get up off the sheep ass sofa. What the summer of the shy got to offer? 18 year old sell drugs to get a job. You gotta play euro. My dog worked the Taco Bell, hooked us up euro. Five a week later, the manager count the churros. Sometimes I can't believe it when I look up in the mirror. How we out in Europe, spinning euros? They claim you never know what you got till it's gone. I know I got it. I don't know what y'all on. I'ma open up a store for aspiring MCs. Won't sell them no dream, but the inspiration is free. But if they ever flip sides like Anakin, you will sell everything, including the mannequin. They got a new bitch now. You Jennifer Aniston. Hold on, I handle it. Don't start panicking. Stay calm. Shorty's at the door 'cause they need more inspiration for their life, their souls, and their songs. They said, "Sorry, Mr. West is gone." That was gone from late registration, Kanye West's second album and my number one record of 2005. For a complete list of my top 20 records of the year, as well as Jim DeRigatis's, go to soundopinions.com. And now it's Jim's turn to give you his number one record of 2005. It is indeed. Greg, it was a, a close call between my top three. I love Kanye West's late registration. I like LCD Sound System's uh, LCD Sound System record just as much. You know, I always go with my rock critic hero, Lester Bangs, with the records that he played more than anything else that he couldn't stop listening to. It happens also to be the only album I gave four stars to all year. Had a lot of three-and-a-half-star records. I have my top 40 posted on soundopinions.com, but this is the only four-star record. I think it's a perfect record, a milestone in hip-hop. Now, before uh, I say why Commons B is such a great album, we should point out that we have just given the number one slots in, in our respective newspapers and on Sound Opinions to two Chicago rappers. Mm -hmm. We could be accused of homerism, of being, you know, like, like all the sports guys who were, you know, the, the White Sox mania because they finally won the World Series or what the Bears are going through now. Why is that not the case? Chicago is the epicenter of hip-hop right now. I, I have to tell you, after dominance by New York first and then the West Coast in the early 90s and right. then back to New York. And, well, the, and then the Atlanta the sound, South, right. Uh, you know, Houston has had its day. You know, they had a very good year in Houston. But I think Chicago right now, between uh, Kanye West, Common, Twista, I mean, we, we're talking about multi-million selling records being produced by Chicago born and bred artists right now. There's a blue-collar element here. These yeah. guys are talking about everyday life. They are not talking about pimping and rolling, right. rolling in the lex and blinging, uh, which is, you know, great. Fantasies are a big part of pop music. But these guys are talking about everyday life, and I think Commons B is very much a, uh, a sort of a ghetto symphony. I, I've compared it, it to like a, a Marvin Gaye's What's Going On in terms of the cinematic uh, possibilities of everyday life in the black community. Absolutely. I mean, Common is building on what Curtis Mayfield started constructing mm -hmm. or what Marvin Gaye started constructing constructing. You have a Kanye West connection here as well. Common was one of Kanye West's mentors, and he returns the favor on Common's sixth album by producing much of it. However, it's not over the top and orchestrated and lush in the way that late registration is. Common wanted to take it back down to basics. Common had his neo-psychedelic all-over-the-map move with his last record, Electric Circus, which I thought was absolutely brilliant in terms of the musical invention. He'd been listening to Pink Floyd, <laughs> and yeah. he was trying to cross hip-hop and Pink Floyd. You know, he's getting older, and forget about Andy Warhol's proverbial 15-minute attention span. It's about three and a half in hip-hop, and when you've been around for six 
albums, you are you are over the hill. You have nothing left to say. Common has far too much to say to be written off with that kind of ease. He's talking about the difficulties of becoming a family man, of being a father, of being a lover, of being angry as as an African-American male and yet trying to build a community. He's talking about the uh, the most difficult aspects of life as an African-American in this world today. The big hit was The Corner. It draws the line to the black activism of the 60s, the idealism, but also the anger by uh, having a cameo from the pioneering rappers, The Last Poets. Another track that, that just sums it all up for me is the song Faithful, you know, where Common is asking young African-American men to consider, if God was a woman, would you treat her the way you're treating these women that you're dating right now. And I don't think there's any other person in hip-hop with the guts to do that. Common is, uh, you know, five times a better rapper than Kanye is. Even Kanye says it. He is an amazing freestyle rapper with the ability, you you toss him a subject and he'll riff for ten Mm -hmm. minutes and it'll be perfect and the rhymes are incredibly complicated and inside out. So you have the brilliance of what the rappers call his flow. You have the uplifting but also humorous and and very insightful nature of his lyrics and you have Kanye West's production it's just a perfect album as far as I'm concerned yeah there's not an ounce of filler on this record it's lean it's mean every song every minute counts on this record and I really appreciate that about none of those sort of meaningless skits you know, no. jumbling it up. I yeah, mean, Kanye's, every... Kanye's late registration has a few of those, mm-hmm. and, you know, I skip over them after the first time. Every track on this common record has its own integrity, and it was made to fit together a- as an album, and that's why it really works. Commons B, we're going to hear a great track called Testify from B, the album by Common, my number one record of the year on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. She walked in the court, her knees buckled, saying for a man to survive, he need hustle. Seen and been through struggle her whole life, made the transition from being his hoe to his wife. Stifling, the night had been the ATF busting. Her daddy was a hustler, so she loved him. Looked at the jury, how can they judge him? She screamed. In a chest, a face with tears, had a man's back. He was facing years in a name, though the place was his. They trying to take everything except the kids. But yes, she been through scuffle and fights while he trying to hustle that white up all night. Wondering if he's alive, seeing him try, she bubbled inside and screamed. Yelled for order, court reporter making her words shorter. His lawyer sat next to him. She could see how the trial was affecting him. It hurt for her eyes to connect with him, using her lies for protecting him. They arrested him for murder and gun possession. As they read back her confession, she screamed. on all charges she's shaking looking like she took it the hardest a spin artist she brought her face up laughing that's when the prosecutor realized what happened all that speaking of mind testifying and crying when this bitch did the crime the queen pin 
All right, that's Testify by Common from the B album, my number one choice of the year. Once again, you can go to soundopinions.com and read uh, Greg's list, my list, and give us your own opinions as well. Uh, you can post on our message board, or you can call the Sound Opinions hotline, 888-859-1800. We want to know what you think the albums of the year are, or uh, if you think we're completely wrong about our choices. It'd be surprising if you thought we were wrong, but nonetheless, we I welcome I those disagreements. I don't see how such a thing is possible, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and try. Next week's going to be another great show. We're going to give our box set gift guide for the holiday season. For all those music lovers out there, you've got these multi-disc box sets out there. You don't want to make a mistake. We want to spend your money in the right place. And don't (laughs) screw up. Listen to the show next week. We'll give you the best of the best. Plus, we'll have uh, music news, as always, and my Desert Island jukebox pick. We have some people to thank. Tori Malatia of the South Side of Chicago, our executive producer here on Chicago Public Radio. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Spiegel, our longtime ally and producer, and our beloved associate producers, Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn. Eric Rudd was our engineer. We're happy to be here. Thanks for listening.